you don't have to, to admit it or, or say it out loud, but have you ever accidentally locked yourself outside of your home or perhaps your car? Judging by the judging by the chuckles, I think <laughs> many of you have. On July 12, 2017, a contractor entered a Bank of America in order to install a lock in the bank's ATM machine. However, while he was in the ATM machine, the door closed behind him, and it wouldn't open. He was locked inside. And you know what? He left his phone in his truck. Worse still, according to the Associated Press, he had no way to make his voice loud enough to be heard through the machine. However, he did have a pen and paper. So you know what he did? To every person who used the ATM, he would slip them notes through the slot where you get your receipts. Because keep in mind, the door was closed, People thought it was functional and they kept coming up to the ATM machine. So get this, when a person inserted their card, he would write them a note that said things like, quote, please help, I'm stuck in here and I don't have my phone, please call my boss. What would you do if you received a note like that from an ATM machine? Would you take the message seriously? Or would you dismiss it? You know what most customers did? Nothing. <laughs> they thought it was some kind of prank, so the man continued to be trapped inside the ATM machine. Thankfully, he was freed after one customer called the police. Yet, interestingly enough, this customer called the police because they simply thought it was a prank and it wasn't real. Yet, once called, they, they took the note seriously and the man was finally freed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to work, then being locked inside with seemingly no way to get out? Now, I hope none of you ever get trapped inside an ATM machine or, or any other locked space, for that matter. But I do wonder if that's how some of you might feel about your job. What I mean, what I mean is you feel stuck much like that contractor, like literally, like you feel like the walls are closing in on you. You feel at your job, you feel trapped, and and no one is taking your cries for help seriously. In fact, you don't have to say it out loud. But how do you feel about your job? Is it satisfying and fulfilling? Or is it difficult and unpleasant? Many today in the workforce, they feel, they feel overworked and underappreciated. 
Is that true of you? Here's the question I want us to consider this morning, and that's this. As Christians, how should we think about our work? What ought to be our disposition towards our jobs and those whom we work for? And I don't think I need to convince you that this is a massively important question for us to consider. Because the reality is, if you do the math, the majority of us will spend most of our waking hours at work. So how should we as Christians think about it? Well, I believe our passage helps answer that question. So if you would, please turn within your Bibles to Ephesians 6. That's page 979 in that paperback Bible in the seat in front of you. Since August of last year, we've been working our way through the New Testament book of Ephesians. And as the first three chapters have made abundantly clear, as Christians, we have experienced what you could say is a divine disruption. This is what I think Paul is getting at, especially in Ephesians chapter 2. Think of what we recall learned in Ephesians chapter 2. In that chapter, we learned that prior to God saving us, we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, right? Ephesians 2 makes it very clear. Prior to God saving us, we were hell-bound, living for ourselves. But, in that that great, great verse, chapter 2, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, right? Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with God in Christ. Amen? God has brought us, through His work, through His initiative, God has brought us from death to life. And indeed, as Paul writes at the end of chapter 2, in verse 10, In Christ, we have now been created for good works. And what Paul has been very careful to do, I don't know if you've noticed this, what Paul has been very careful to do in chapters 4 through 6 is show us, Christian, what those good works are. That is, he's been showing us how our new life in Christ, being raised to new life in Christ, how that ought to shape and change the way we live. So think of what we learned in Ephesians chapter 4. Our new life in Christ ought to change the way we speak to one another, right? It ought to change how we respond when someone sins against us. Ephesians 4, 29-31. It ought to produce thanksgiving in our hearts. It ought to motivate us to to expose the deeds of darkness and to point people to the light of Christ. It ought to change the way how we use our time. It ought to compel us to make singing and corporate worship a priority. Indeed, what have we just learned at the end of 5 and the beginning of chapter 6? Our new life in Christ, Paul has showed us, 
should govern the way we relate to those in our home, to our spouse and to our children. And as we're about to see this morning, our new life in Christ ought to also change both our perspective of work and our actions at work. And and this is what what we have to understand this morning, faith. For the Apostle Paul to speak about how faith in Christ changes the way we go about our jobs, go about our work, then he has to address the relationship between slaves and masters. You see, as some of you know, slavery in the ancient world was very different from the slavery or from the history of slavery here in America. As historians tell us, the slavery at the time of this letter, when Paul wrote Ephesians, was not based on race. No, people could actually sell themselves into slavery. And in fact, some slaves were doctors, teachers, managers, musicians, and some could even have slaves themselves. Furthermore, historians tell us that it was not unusual for a slave to be better educated than the master. Indeed, it's estimated that in the Roman Empire, listen to this, there were over 60 million slaves, or one-third of the people living in the city of Ephesus. It was an accepted part of the Mediterranean world's economic life. As commentator Klein Snodgrass has stated, speaking of slaves, they did not merely do menial work, They did nearly all the work, including oversight and management in most professions. Some slaves were more educated than their owners. They could own property, even slaves, and were allowed to save money to buy freedom. No slave class existed, for slaves were present in all but the highest of economic and social strata. Many gained freedom by age 30. Right? Yet what I want you to see is that though the Bible speaks of slavery, it nowhere commends slavery as a social structure. In the case of our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is not endorsing the institution of slavery. Rather, he's speaking to those who are already in that situation. And a a good guess is probably more than a third of the people hearing this letter would have been those people. Also, I just wanted you to point out that it would probably have been and was actually socially progressive of the Apostle Paul to even address slaves in this letter. The fact that Paul addresses them emphasizes the intrinsic worth they possess as human beings made in the image of God. Okay? Now, to be sure... There is not a direct one-to-one correlation between slaves and masters when Paul wrote Ephesians and the typical employer-employee relationship we experience today. Making that clear. That said, though, Paul does speak to how we ought to work. 
how we ought to labor. And in this text, I want to suggest that Paul teaches a vitally important truth that as Christians we must embrace a truth that can actually transform the way you work today. So what is that truth? Well, if you haven't already, turn with me to Ephesians 6 and follow along with me as I read verses 5 through 9. So again, Paul's been speaking to these various spheres of of influence in life and how new life in Christ ought to change and shape how we live, how uh, we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with Him. Amen and amen. This is God's good word. Uh, The Elm at Clark is a condominium high-rise that is located in the Gold Coast of Chicago's north side. And for a little over a year, I worked there as both a doorman and a janitor. And the first week I started working on the job, I was trained by Jose. Jose was one of two managers who worked there. And during my first week of training, I noticed that Jose had a very particular way of doing everything. (laughs) For example, I was instructed to vacuum only in a certain pattern and to mop the floors with only a certain and specific kind of soap. My second week of training, I was trained by the other manager, Steve. And after carefully vacuuming a hallway in a very specific two times forward, one times back, rectangular or diagonal pattern that Jose taught me, to my surprise, Steve looked upon my work with disgust. He then informed me that I was doing everything wrong. And during that entire second week, I was not only lectured on the right way to do things, but I was then also lectured on how incompetent Jose was. Well, as you can imagine, I was a little nervous the next time I worked with Jose. Beads of sweat literally ran down my forehead as I stood with a vacuum in my hand on the 16th floor wondering, how am I to do this? (laughs) 
Hosea, there's right next to me. Which pattern should I vacuum the hallway with? All this to say, that entire year, I found myself working amidst an ongoing conflict between Steve and Jose. Steve despised Jose, and Jose could not stand Steve. <laughs> they absolutely hated each other, and the whole condominium high-rise knew about it. Except me, those first two weeks. <laughs> Yet week after week, whoever I was working with, I had to hear them vent and just go on about how much they hated the other guy. And here's the question I wrestled with. Which boss should I obey? Whose orders should I follow? You know what I needed in that moment? I needed the truth of this passage. For you know what Paul teaches in this text? Listen to this. He teaches that even if you can't transfer jobs, you can transfer masters. And let me explain. I have to tell you that preparing this sermon was a delight. And you know why? Because we don't have to guess as to what Paul's main point is in this passage. He literally goes out of his way to make it obvious. And very clearly, Paul instructs all Christians to work to please Christ, for he is your master. Work at your jobs, at your vocation. Work to please Christ, because he... He ultimately is your master. As several commentators have correctly observed, Christ is mentioned in each of these five verses. Did you notice that? Verse 5, as you would Christ. Verse 6, as servants of Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. Verse 8, receive back from the Lord. And then verse 9, your master in heaven. So do you see what this passage is inviting you to do? It's calling you to change your master. Work to please Christ. For he is your true master. Your purpose at your job is to please your master in heaven. Not simply your boss, or in my case, bosses on earth. Christian, you have a heavenly master who sees and knows every detail about your work environment. He sees how, he, how your boss treats you. He sees how your coworkers interact with you. He knows all about your clients. And your heavenly master calls you to faithfully do your work as unto him. That is, you work hard. You work with integrity. You faithfully do what is required of you not because your boss is worthy of it but because Jesus is. And, and I want to submit to you that this is the perspective that can not only produce joy in your heart but it can also properly motivate you to be a good employee 
in a challenging and hard work environment. For example, you know how I solved my dilemma as a janitor? <laughs> I quit. No, that's not what I did. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Out of obedience to my heavenly master, my heavenly boss, if you could say, whenever I worked with Steve, I did things the way Steve wanted. And whenever I worked with Jose, I did things the way Jose wanted. Yet, regardless of who I was working with, by God's grace, I made it my aim to please Jesus in my attitudes, in my actions, in my behavior. And I have to tell you, it gave me great joy and freedom amidst a rather contentious work environment. Because I know Jesus is my ultimate master. And he knows what's going on in these knuckleheads' heads. And I just need to make it my aim to please him. You see, faith, whether you're metering out prescription drugs as a pharmacist, or you're showing clients a home for sale, or you're surveying land and writing reports, or you're selling medical devices, or you're wiring a home as an electrician, or you're teaching in a school, or you're flying an airplane, or you're loading containers that go into an airplane, or you're filing tax returns as a CPA, or you're helping customers at a retail shop, or you're serving people as a doctor, if you right now settle in your hearts that whatever you're doing, you're doing it for Christ, that can enable you to have joy amidst the hardships of your work environment. Paul is calling us, whatever our station in life, work to please Christ, for He is your Master. And please note that this applies to both employees and employers. For notice, Paul wants both slaves and masters to conduct themselves in a way that brings honor to Jesus. I mean, he makes this abundantly clear there in verse 9. So what would it look like in real time for you to do your work as unto the Lord? Well, I think woven in, in these verses, Paul shows us there are several directives and standards, Christian, that your heavenly master calls you to. So regardless of what your boss might say, your your ultimate boss, your heavenly master says, here is how I want you to behave. Here is how I want you to act in the work environment. So notice first, we're called to do our work, your job, respectfully. This is what I believe Paul is getting at in the first part of verse 5 and then in verse 9. Notice what he says. Bond servants... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. And then go down to verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Christian, based on, on these verses, these verses are getting us and calling us to do our work respectfully. 
not only to those in authority over us, to those we come in contact with. Please, I wanted to suggest, please observe that there can be no place in the Christian employee's life for subtle insubordination toward his employer or for cleverly concealed contempt or mocking humor. God's word says that those in the employee position who are under some kind of authority in the work relationship, they must conduct themselves with fear and trembling toward our earthly employers as we obey them. Again, not because we think they earned it, but because our heavenly master commanded of us. Now, a Christian employee must refuse to obey an employer if the employer is calling him to sin. So if you're told to cook the books or take advantage of a customer, you refuse. Why? Because remember, you're doing your work unto your heavenly master. But furthermore, this notion to work respectfully also applies to those in positions of authority since employers are called to do the same. New Testament author and scholar Peter O'Brien says, Paul's exhortation in verse 9 would have been, quote, shocking and outrageous to a first century slave owner. Have your eyes fall there again, because notice, after he goes through all these things that he calls a slave to do, he says in verse 9, masters do the same to them. That is, Paul commands the masters to treat their slaves as they themselves would like to be treated. And at a minimum, this means being respectful and not threatening them. So first I want to suggest that Paul is encouraging us in our workplaces that if we're going to work as to Jesus, we do so respectfully. But then second, we are to work wholeheartedly. Look at again verses 5 and 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. I'm understanding that to be respectfully. And then he says, and, and notice the emphasis on the heart, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. I mean, just think about that. As you interact with your boss, treat him as you would your Savior. From a sincere heart, he says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We want to do it wholeheartedly, sincerely, as to the Lord. I, I stumbled across this this week. There's a, a company called NL Studios that has designed a nap desk made for, quote, the horizontally inclined workers. Okay, here's a couple of pictures. This is what it looks like normally, and then, there you go. Okay? Now, now please understand, now you have to understand, the purpose behind the desk is that employees can sneak in a nap during work hours without anyone knowing, especially their boss. That, that's, that's the thrust behind it. Now, 
Well, there's nothing wrong with taking a nap. Amen. Praise the Lord for naps. Uh, unless given permission by their employer, employer, I want to encourage us that the passage I just read would forbid a Christian from taking a nap while on company time. Again, unless otherwise granted permission. For, for notice the clear admonition of these verses, especially with the emphasis on the heart. We're, we're to do our work as unto the Lord with a sincere heart. Back. Wholeheartedly. Paul urged the bond servants not to be hypocrites, just working when the boss was present. What does he say? By way of eye service as people pleasers. And then, then messing around when the boss isn't around, such as taking a nap. Faith, while a, while a common temptation for a boss might be threatening, a common temptation for an employee is being lazy or lying. And both the boss and the employee need to remember that Christ sees all things. The Christian employee should not put his best foot forward only when the boss is around and then be lazy and unproductive when he's not being looked at. In fact, can I ask, what is your work ethic like when your boss is not around or when he's not even checking in on you? You know, there's that well-known phrase, perhaps you've heard it. People don't do what you expect. They only do what you inspect. That, that just reveals, does it not, our heart tendency. Does your boss need to constantly be checking in on you? Or can he count on you to work wholeheartedly without inspection? So, do your work respectfully, wholeheartedly. Don't take naps. And then, and then I want to suggest, do your work willingly. Because notice what he says there in verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not men. I mean, do you, do you, especially in these two verses, do you, do you see what Paul is saying? He's like, whoever it is that God has sovereignly placed as an authority structure, <coughs> an authority over you at your job, look past them. Look through them. And do your work as to Christ, your ultimate master. I mean, notice how he says it clear. I'm just going to have you go back there at the end of verse 5. With a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And then verse 7, rendering service to the goodwill as to the Lord and not man. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the company career builder, they surveyed more than uh, 10,000 HR managers and they asked them to list the reasons why employees show up late for work. What, what do you think was the most common? Tra very good traffic. Have you used that excuse before? 
Traffic came in at number one, 51%. Oversleeping came in second at 31%. And then the third most common reason, you know what it was? It's first it's traffic, oversleeping, and then what the third one was? The weather at 20%. But those weren't the only reasons given. Among the most unique excuses that bosses have ever heard, one employee said, quote, I was here but fell asleep in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, another said, again, according to this report, my fake eyelashes were stuck together. <laughs> a rather superstitious employee said, an astrologer warned me of a car accident on a major highway, so I took all the back roads. And, and, then, and then the one that got the most eyebrows raised was, quote, I had morning sickness, and it came from a male employee. <laughs> but it, the, the report, the, what, was fa- what was fascinating about the report, <clears throat> of the, you know, they surveyed all these HR managers, and which I think is, is relevant to our discussion this morning, is that the report goes on to say there is a reluctance in employees to not only work, but to show up to work on time. They say many people don't like it. They don't like going to work. And indeed, once they arrive at work, they can be reluctant to do what they're paid to do. And I think it's worth asking, is that true of you? As Christians, I believe Paul is calling us from this passage, especially verse 7, that we need to do our work willingly. We don't have to be coerced. We do our work willingly as to the Lord. This means you, you do your job so well that your boss will not think poorly of your heavenly master, Jesus. And we could put it this way. If you would not do shoddy work for Christ, then don't do shoddy work for your boss. Whether that's vacuuming the 16th floor and you make it a name, I'm going to do this with excellence because I'm doing it for Christ. Or you're, you're double-checking the numbers on that tax return so your client's file is accurate. I'm going to take the extra time. I'm going to do this well because I'm doing it for Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into on the assembly line. I'm going to take extra careful effort to make sure everything is, is done correctly because I'm doing it for Christ. I'm going to manage my sales team well, invest in them because I'm doing it for Christ. I'm going to teach these students the same thing I've taught a bazillion times before. Well, we have energy because I'm going to do it for Christ. I'm not going to dial it in. I'm going to do it willingly and joyfully. And then finally, what is, what is arguably the most transformative truth that can change the way we think about work, Paul encourages us to do our work expectantly. Because notice what he says in verse 8. So, verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does 
this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant or is free. Let me ask you, do you think about your job primarily in terms of what it will reap in this life or the next? The work these slaves did each day may have led to many things, favor with their master, financial or circumstantial gain, maybe even precious freedom. But notice, Paul says the most important outcome of their conduct at work could not be had or achieved here on earth. No, the work they were doing was mainly about storing up treasures in heaven. I mean, what has our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6? You know this passage. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures where? On earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look, another paycheck may feel like the most, or rather our most immediate need. But in light of what Paul just says here in verse 8, and in light of what Jesus teaches here in verse 6, please hear me. That paycheck is another grain of sand compared with all that God will give us in eternity. The the various things that Paul has even shared to us in chapter 1 of this book. Paychecks are nothing compared to the overwhelmingly unknown of this he'll receive back from the Lord. People pleasers may enjoy the pleasure of earthly praise, but only at the expense of a heavenly reward. So faith, instead of settling for a few higher numbers on a tiny piece of paper that will probably be spent before the month runs out. Let's work at our jobs like those who are waiting and working for more than we could ever imagine ourselves. Let's really take to heart what Paul is saying here. Your your boss may not see your faithfulness in the mundane things of your job. Your co-workers might mock you and not appreciate all the work you do to help carry the load. But your heavenly master does. Every bit of it. And everything good anyone does, verse 8, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Do you believe that? Teachers, when you're spending hours outside of the classroom planning lesson plans, when you're writing field reports, when you're filing taxes, when you're working in a factory, when you're flying airplanes, I love what John Piper has said about this passage. He writes this, 
He says, this is amazing. He says, everything, every little thing you do that is good is seen and valued by the Lord. And He will pay you back for it. Not in the sense that you have earned anything by putting Him in your debt. He owns you and everything in the universe. He owes us nothing, but He freely, graciously chooses to reward good things done in faith. Nothing we do, nothing. Not one thing is done in vain. Whatever good thing each one does, this he'll receive back from the Lord. Astounding. And is it not? Whether you're cleaning teeth or you're cleaning a septic system, right? <laughs> There's a story there, right? But whatever it is, You'll receive it back from the Lord. I, and I just, this is what I want to say. Are you, are you starting to see now, Christian, how this biblical perspective on work can radically change your attitude and demeanor? Do you see how it can give you hope and steadfastness? As I said, your boss may not see all the hard work you do, but your heavenly master does. And he will repay you. And how, how good is our heavenly master? He not only did the hardest work there is by living the perfect life we have failed to live, then going to a cross to die and pay the debt we deserve to die for our sins, and then rising from the dead three days later. Jesus Christ not only did all the work necessary to save us, but get a load of this, as our heavenly master, he also freely forgives us of our failings. And he will reward us for our hard work. Why wouldn't you want to do all your work to please him? On February 22nd, 1899, Albert Hubbard ran an, Albert Hubbard was an editor of a small magazine. And he needed some filler for his next issue. Literally, he says, I just need something to fill a couple pages. So he this. So he sat down after dinner, and in an hour, he banged out an article that was run without a title. I didn't think more, much more about it. Well, a few weeks later, he began to get requests for issues of that magazine. First a dozen, then 50 then a hundred, then thousands of copies were requested. And, and this editor, he was, he was puzzled. And he asked the helper, he's like, you know, why are people wanting all this? And the helper said, it's because of that article, that titleless article you had written. Well, then an order came for 100,000 copies from the president of a large railroad company. And the editor replied, look, it's, it's going to take me at least two years to fill that order. So the railroad president asked, hey, can I print it? And he was given permission to print it himself. And, and the railroad guy distributed at least a million and a half copies of the article. Then a Russian railroad executive touring the United States, he saw the article. When he got home, he translated it into Russian and gave a copy to every railroad employee in Russia. It spread to Germany France, 
Spain, Turkey, India, and China. During the war between Russia and Japan, every Russian soldier was given a copy of this article. The Japanese, finding booklets of this article in possession of Russian prisoners, they concluded, you know what, this must be a good thing. So they translated into Japanese. A copy was given to every man working for the Japanese government. So get a load of this. In all, that article that was simply a filler and had no title to begin with was translated into 37 languages and sold over 40 million copies, becoming one of the best-selling items ever printed. It later gained a title. And can anyone guess the name of the article? It was then called A Message to Garcia. Now, why was there such a demand for this article? Because this article had extolled the faithfulness of a man who took initiative and did his work well. As some of you know, or maybe none of you know, based on the looks on your faces, <laughs> this article was about an incident, a true incident, in the Spanish-American War. President McKinley wanted a message delivered personally to General Garcia in the interior of Cuba. And an American officer, Lieutenant Rowan, had simply received his orders, taken the message without complaint, without procrastination, without fanfare, and in spite of great difficulty and danger, and delivered that message to Garcia. The demand for the article stemmed from the fact that there is such a lack of diligent, faithful employees who do what they are supposed to do, like take a message to Garcia. Faith, may we as God's people, his bondservants of Christ, may we be found to be faithful, hard-working employees of our heavenly master. Amen? And may we take the message of Jesus to our workplaces and beyond, all for his glory. Let's pray.